Well, good morning. We are concluding a season uh, of 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. And, um, you know, the goal of this effort is not for us to get to day 21 and be done. The goal of the effort is for 21 days, we've experienced what it's like to pick a place and pick a time and intentionally seek the Lord by praying to him. I, I do think that, you know, the drive-by prayers are great. Pray without ceasing is wonderful. All of the above should be done. But I think there's something really special about a time and a place where you seek the Lord and you pray. We've also encouraged you to fast once a week, one meal a week, fast social media. Uh, really, it, it, it's about interrupting the ordinary schedule of your life because you want to focus on God and whatever that's going to take to kind of reset you, that's what, that's what we should do. And fasting is there for you even beyond 21 days as an opportunity to really focus on the Lord. So prayer. I think prayer is one of the most amazing things because it is actually in prayer that we are able to commune with God, to spend time with God, especially if you couple that with reading the scripture. The Bible is such an incredible book. Um, I mean, I was in the Bible study of uh, Andrew Albritton last week, and he talked about how to learn to enjoy reading the Bible. And, I, you know, I've been thinking about what we discussed throughout this week already. It's, it's been wonderful. But to put those two together, what you do is you come up with the time that you're spending with God. Now, here's, here's what I want to, to ask you to do today. I'm going to recommend a prayer that you pray every day for the next year. It's not a long prayer. I love having prayers that I can recite. And then from that, those points in the prayer, I can kind of move into my, my own heart's understanding and need at each one of those points. But in the process, I, I, I'm able to spend time with the Lord one of the things that spending time with God will do for us is it will transport us from living ordinary lives to living extraordinary lives because now we are energized and guided by God himself. Um, there's a book that I, I really do love and would recommend it, written by John Ortberg entitled God is Closer Than You Think. And he includes an interesting story in this book where he and his wife spend a time in Europe and go and visit the Vatican. And there they were able to look at the great paintings of Michelangelo on the Sistine Chapel. And the one that he points out there is the, the one frame that is the creation of Adam. And um, I, I, I think we might have that for you to see it, it's a large photograph. Okay, there we go. There it is. This, this is the creation of Adam. And, and, and what I, what I want to point out here is that if, if, you, and if you had a larger slice, which we're not going to use, um, you will see God who is energetically moving toward Adam. He's like riding in this chariot of the clouds with the angels propelling him forward. And then Adam is there and God leans forward and he extends his arm and his finger to Adam and he leaves just 
a little gap. And that is, that is the point of that picture right there. See, God is reaching and Adam is deciding. All Adam has to do is this. Can you all get your hands out, please? Give me a limp hand. And God's saying, I'm here every day. I made you. I love you. I want to be in your presence. All I need you to do is this. Okay, you get it? And if we will continue to seek the Lord every day, to live in the presence of God will absolutely transform our lives, our perspective, our vision. Honestly, though, prayer is not easy. Prayer is pretty hard. It is so easy for us to ignore prayer. It is hard and requires constant effort to cultivate a, a discipline of prayer. I hear this from everybody. I hear this from a lot of preachers and authors and, and biblical scholars. Do you know why? Because it's true. But I want to challenge you to take the 21 days of prayer and extend it an additional 365 days and I'm going to give you a prayer. Come straight out of, the, out of the scripture. You know, the beautiful thing is that God is constantly moving toward us. The reason we even know God exists is because he revealed himself to us. This is the God that even in our fallenness and our sin, he's chosen to bind himself eternally to us in the promises of Jesus. It is an everlasting covenant. Jesus died on a cross, shed his blood, and the offer is this. If you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus and you will receive the free gift of salvation, you will have everlasting life. Jesus himself put it so beautifully, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. Do you want to perish? Do you want to not perish? I want to not perish but have everlasting life. And this is the promise of God. It's not contingent on how good you are. It's only contingent on whether or not you believe. And when you say you believe in Jesus, you accept him as your Lord and your Savior and receive the forgiveness he purchased on a cross. This gospel was taken by the Apostle Paul um, to the Gentile world, and in Acts chapter 17, um, Paul is in Athens. And in Athens, he notices that this city is given to idol worship. So many idols, so many different, like, iterations of idols, and his heart is broken because, you know, when, when you've got so many idols you're looking at, what that means is you're confused and you don't know really who God is. And in Acts 17, 27, this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, you know, 
He said, I'm, I'm, I've noticed you had even a shrine to the unknown God. That's the God I want to talk to you about. Let me just tell you about him. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He rules over all things. And in verse 27, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he's not very far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. You will never be complete. You will never be all you are intended to be if you do not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if you do not commune with him on a regular basis, you will live an ordinary life. But God says, I've got something bigger for you. I've got an extraordinary life. You know, I read through the Bible and I see there are some people that, I mean, they, they do big stuff. They, they, they have huge stories. I mean, early on in the Bible, one of my heroes is Enoch, and I speak of him often because, honestly, it changed my life when I read through the, through the, the, the list of people, uh, and it talks about so-and-so was born, and then, then they had a child, and then lived this many more years, and then they died. And this, this pattern is repeated time and time again in this genealogy until so you get to Enoch, and it says that Enoch was born, and after so many years he had a child. And then it says, and he was not because God took him. And the, the, the question is, what in the world does that mean? You know what that means? Is God took him on up into eternity. He didn't die. He's the only man on the list who did not die. And, and and, and it said that Enoch walked with God. What does walking with God mean? I mean, I, th I think what walking with God means is this. On a daily basis, on a regular basis, living life in the presence of God. I think that is the definition of walking with God. Enoch walked with God so well that for some reason God took him onto heaven. And Hebrews says that while Enoch was alive, it was said of Enoch that he pleased God. And then it goes on and says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him for you must believe that he is and that, is a that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that's why, that verse actually is why every morning I go to my knees and I pray. Because like, I don't think there's a greater experience any human being could ever have than to walk with God. And my prayers sometimes aren't very spiritual. Sometimes they're like, well, God, I'm here again because I believe that you are and you, you reward those who diligently seek you and I want your reward. So I'm here again today. I'm not feeling it so much. I'll just tell you, God, because you know already, but I'm here. Because I believe that you are and that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Now, for me, Enoch is this hero, but he gives me a pattern for my life. And then there are other great people in the Bible that do amazing things. Like, for instance, um, there, there is, there is, uh, there's Noah, Noah builds this incredible ship. He becomes the laughing stock of everybody alive. What are you doing, Noah? I'm building a ship. Why? Because it's going it's to rain. We don't even know what rain is. What are, you, what are you doing? Well, this is what God told me to do. Noah, for hundreds of years, builds this ship. And he says, the exercise of building the ship over hundreds of years was a platform for him to tell people there is a God in heaven to whom we must all give an account and a judgment is going to come. So here's the deal. You need to seek him now. And they didn't. 
But now Noah's a hero. He did big things for God. I, I mean, I read about the life of, the light of Joshua. Joshua one day is fighting the enemies of his people in a battle, and the momentum is going in his direction. He is winning, and he, he, he's actually thinking, man, if I only had a few more hours of sunlight, we could actually defeat this enemy and not have to deal with them again in the future. And so what does Joshua do? He, he prays this big, audacious prayer. He asks God, God, would you please stop the sun from setting? Okay, now wait a second here. So a man is going to pray to God, the creator of the universe, and ask him to interrupt the planetary movements. That's a big prayer. And what does God do? He says, okay. I'm, I'm telling you that because we need to see how big God is. Because sometimes we don't pray big enough. I love the story of Elisha. Elisha is the prophet of God. The king of Amram is the enemy of God's people. And God, Elisha actually hears from the Lord before the king of Amram makes his next move in his efforts to defeat them. And so Elisha tells the leaders of Israel, and the king of Amram is getting so mad. Who is the mole? Who's the leaker? I mean, he's about ready to kill someone. And finally, someone comes up and says, King, we think it is God who informs the prophet of our movements because nobody in this circle is talking. So the king says, go get him. He sends the army, his chariots, after Elisha. The servant of Elisha gets up one morning, goes outside, and he sees this huge army that's there and they're there to kill him i mean elisha and he's included and he's freaking out goes into elisha elisha you got to come see this there's the army has come i mean they they are dead set to kill us and elisha elisha he says uh yeah um lord open his eyes so he can see then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He sees the army. Do you know God's army is there even when you can't see it? You know, my brother goes to Pakistan and conducts evangelistic camps and um, the, the missionary we support, his name is Irfan, uh, Samson. Uh, no, his name is Anis, his brother Samson. Anis, and um, he, my brother says, you know, it's, it's dangerous. Like he grows his beard out because he's trying to look more Pakistani, which my brother can actually. Me, I'm the white boy of the family, no chance. Okay, I grow this beard out. I kind of look like a scraggly old homeless guy. It's terrible. Um, but, but his team is warned every time to be careful where they go, what they do, and who they talk to. Because seriously, violence can break out against them at any time. And he tells them, listen, you guys have got to stay within the parameters I'm giving you because 
I mean, I, you, you could get arrested and go to jail. And then Anise says to me, yeah, it's so funny. When, when foreigners come and we talk about how that they really might go to jail, they just freak out. He says, you know what, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Once you've been to, been to jail, it's, it's okay. Like, you've been to jail? Oh, yeah, of course. Those of us who serve in ministry here, we all know what it's like to live under that threat, and sometimes we go to jail. But his hope is in the Lord. Elisha prays for his servant. And we could go on and on and on and on. And I think to myself, but I'm not, I don't feel like I'm that big of a deal. I'm not a hero. I really don't know that I'm trying to be a hero. Um, I'm not like Noah and Abraham and Elisha. And, but then God comes to us and he says, well, I need to tell you about an ordinary guy who prayed an extraordinary prayer. His name is Jabez. And that's the prayer I'm recommending for the year. First Chronicles 4, 9 to 10. We're going to read this. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the name of the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, and that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil so that I may not cause pain. And then all it says is, so God granted him what he requested. Now that's all we know about Jabez. Start to finish, that's it. What heroic things he did, we have no idea. He was just an ordinary guy. And I got three points about Jabez. The first one is he had a really painful start because you know what, how we know that? Is his mother named him Pain. Now, my, my middle name is Boyd. It's my dad's name. And my brother, you know, brothers sometimes like try to find a way to get to you. And my brother said, yeah, Boyd, you're like a Boyd brain. Like a bird brain is what he's saying. I'm like, not funny, Greg. Can you imagine if your name was Pain? That's a painful name. Thank you for whoever laughed. I appreciate it. Needless to say, the circumstances of his birth were not ideal. Now, I get it that during, during the birth, the Bible says that, that there will be pain in childbearing. And I'm a man, so I have to be very careful when I try to even broach this subject because I don't know anything about it, really, other than that I've, I've been around. Um, but I remember when Cindy and I were expecting our first baby, we, we were going like, to be this, these wonderful parents. We tried, at least. We, were gonna, we, we went to this, this class on natural child, childbirth was called Lamaze. And you, you remember that, right, Cindy? Yeah, we do. So honestly, it was one of the most awkward things of my life. Here I am sitting on the floor beside my pregnant wife in a circle of other pregnant women and their husbands. And we're gonna learn about childbirth. Oh my goodness. And then they show a movie and I'm like, I can't stand this no more. But I do remember one thing it was all about breathing. You're, you're gonna be the coach, Eddie, as she delivers the baby, okay. So you need to help her concentrate on breathing, 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 breathing. And then she says this statement that Cindy and I later talked about that was the most ridiculous statement we ever heard in the class. 
it was, you know, really childbirth is really not pain. It's just pressure. Okay, for all the ladies in the room, you can decide. It was not my observation. <laughs> okay. But this is the way every baby is born, so I think that there were more circumstances in the normal processes of childbirth that played into him being named pain. You know, a lot of people go through difficult times in life that mark them. And one thing I love about Jabez is his name was pain. Not a blessing. Not you're going to be a hero. Not you're going to do a great thing. No, you pain. But Jabez refuses to let that statement define his life. He could have easily thought to himself, you know what? I, I, I start at such a disadvantage. Uh, I, I don't even know if I have any value. My life is like a waste. Uh, is there any hope for me? I mean, I could pray to God, but I mean, maybe I really am of little value and, and God's just gonna ignore me. I don't deserve to be blessed. I don't deserve to do anything good. And so, you know, he had to work through all of that stuff, but in the end of the day, he decided he was gonna call upon the name of the Lord and he believed in the goodness of God and the plan of God and the love of God for him that is remarkable in spite of his very painful start. Have you ever heard the little story that goes like this? The dad is at work and he gets yelled at and has a hard day, comes home agitated. He, he comes into the house and he takes his frustration out on his wife. He yells at her and slams the door. The wife, who's been home all day with the kids, has just gotten yelled at for no reason by her husband. And so what does she do? She yells at her little boy. The little boy is all upset now. And so what does he do? He goes out and finds his baby sister and yells at the baby sister. The baby sister is now upset. What does she do? She goes and kicks the dog. And then the dog gets mad and goes out and bites the fence. Well, that's a stupid story. But that's what happens in life. And Jabez says, not going to be my story. I'm going to trust in God. Second thing is, he had a prayerful response, a praying response. And when he prays, he prays to the God of Israel. That is so significant because in our day of vague spirituality, people are praying, sending good thoughts, and we go on and on and on in our spiritual environment. And it's, it's so ill-defined and non-directive, but you know what Jabez did? He had read the history of his people. He read the story of Adam and Eve and the fall in the garden. He, he read the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and in, throughout all of these stories, he began to see a picture of a God who is good and worthy of our worship. And Jabez decides, I'm going to pray to the God of Israel. So he chooses to pray. And then he prays this powerful prayer. There are four points of the prayer. Oh, that you would bless me indeed, enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil 
that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. I promise you, all of us have time in every day over the next year to pray this prayer. That's gonna take seconds. Let's just go through it quickly. Bless me indeed. You know what, I don't think that that statement was a shopping list of things he was demanding from God. At first glance, it might seem like a pretty selfish prayer. Oh, Lord, I want you to bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. But no, no, no. If you break it down, bless me indeed almost sounds like here I am, God. I don't even know what to ask for, but I believe you are good. I believe that you are here. I believe you created me, that you have a plan and a purpose for my life. And so I surrender to you. I declare my dependence and my submission to you. I pray that you would bless me indeed. God, whatever your biggest dream for my life is, is what I want. I don't know what that is, but I'm surrendering to you. And I'm asking that you would bless me indeed. You know, one of our problems sometimes is we forget that we do need the blessing of God. We become so independent and self-sufficient that we forget we actually need to ask God to bless us every day. I mean, I told you my granddaughter was here. She's such a dull little Eleanor, two and a half years old. And one thing I so enjoyed was we'd go on walks in the morning and, and I, would, I would help her get into the stroller and, and she would look at me sometimes and say, Papa, no help, no help, I do it. Like, okay, girl, I'm gonna still be here to catch the fall, but... Uh, and then sometimes she'd get stuck. And that's when she would say, Papa, help. You know, sometimes you and I, we become too self-sufficient. I, don't, I think God wants us to be strong. And we, we should have initiative. And, but he wants us to never forget we will always need the blessing of God. And when he gives the blessing of God, you know, I love this passage where it talks about that the, the iniquities of the fathers are visited to the third and fourth generation, but the blessings of God flow to a thousand generations. Do you know what? If you pray for God to bless you, do not stop with you. Say, God, I pray that you'd bless me and my kids and my kids' kids and my kids' kids' kids. Uh, do you see how expansive the goodness and the power of God's blessing is? If you are living a life seeking the blessing of God and visualizing the generations that are going to follow you, it will change your perspective and it will change the direction of your life. Bless me indeed. Declare your dependence on God. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Before you were conceived, God already had written down the things he has planned for you to do. Do you, do you see that? Do you see how important you are in the plan of God? He actually assigned tasks for you to accomplish. This is a privilege. This gives our lives meaning. It gives our lives meaning purpose number three I mean number two enlarge my territory um, I, I want you to pick a number right now Be, just pick any number come on what number comes to your mind ready now tell the person beside you come on we don't have time for this let's go what number did you what number did you pick what, what's your number come on tell them 
tell them, okay? Okay, I want to tell you about a couple guys that were uh, graduate students at Stanford University, and they dreamt of uh, building a company that would be really big. And um, I, I think you may have heard of this company. Uh, they, they decided that they were going to name their company something that would sort of visualize their goals. And you know what they did name their company? They named their company Google. Have you ever heard of that? You know what Google is? That is the word for one followed by a hundred zeros. So I don't know, what number did you choose? Did you, did you choose Google or more? Or were you in the tens, twenties, hundreds? Maybe we need to think about our lives and the power of this great God and the goodness that he wants to give to us, the blessings that will go from generation to generation. I mean, I think we're not asking for enough. We're not visualizing enough. And so that's why our lives are ordinary because we're all like this. And if we would just go like that and touch God who is so powerful and so able, it would change our vision, our direction, our plan, and our purpose. By the way, Google, you know, do you know that Google, how many of you have ever used Google, by the way? Okay. How many of you have never used Google? No, don't raise your hand because that'd be kind of embarrassing. Um, do you know my favorite Bible tool is Google? Best concordance in the world. Google is helping preachers all over the world. Google processes 99,000, and this is the stats from Internet Live 2022, 99,000 searches every single second, which means it makes more than 8.5 billion searches a day. When we ask for God to expand our territory, what we're doing is we are surrendering and saying, God, hey, give me more to do, please. Would you give me greater influence and greater opportunities? Because I don't want to just live an ordinary life. I don't want to live like this. I want to live like this. I sat through our high street internship orientation, which I do. We just had a new group, and we do it in spring, summer, and fall. But I want to just read you a little bit about the orientation. Serving as a high street in institute, what, it, what should it do for you? Serving in a committed way as a high street intern will be an experience that challenges and grows your faith, and our prayer is that God does something greater than you can ask or imagine through it. Now, how is he going to do it? Well, serving as a high street, in, high street intern should, number one, be more than you can handle on your own so that you have to depend more on God and on his people. So here's the assignment. Go do it. I don't know how to do it. Yeah, we get it. Go do it. You're going to have to trust God. It should give you enough disappointments and difficulties to make you humble and help break your spiritual pride. Have enough demanding, intensive, ungrateful people in it to teach you to love Jesus like Jesus loves. Wait a second here. Are there demanding, intensive, and ungrateful people in church? Is that what we're saying? Uh, I'm going to leave it to you. But when that happens, do you know what? 
You do not learn to love like Jesus when you love the people who are nice to you and love you back. You know when you learn, learn to love like Jesus, when there are people around you, you got them, who are demanding, intensive, and ungrateful, and hard to love, and you love them anyway. Some of the best relationships I have are people I thought hated me for a long time. And I just stayed at it. And now, I love those people. They love, I know. Yeah, they're, they're grouchy, but I love them. Learn to work with volunteers, manage your time, deadlines, resources. Have enough impossible and seemingly insurmountable obstacles in it to teach you the goodness and the power of God. Provide a way for you to share God's love and concern for lost people, especially in the area in which you are serving. Teach you to commit when you're wavering, love when you're tired, give when you're spent, and pray when you're, you're wavering. Teach you the power and the truth of God's word, the strength of his commands, and the power of his promises. Teach you to love Jesus, the only one worthy of all of our love, the one who became poor, that we might become rich, the one who became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so I'm here to say that when you pray, oh God, I want you to expand my territory. That is an offer to serve. Number three, may your hand be with me. May your hand be, God, I want to live a life so meaningful that I must depend that your hand would be with me. I want you to hold on to me. I'm going to hold on to you. Oh, I, I love this. You know what I picture? When you were a little kid and it was really scary, even when you didn't want anyone to think you ever needed anybody's help, do you, did you ever like go over to your dad and like get his hand? And if his hands, hand was with you, you're okay. Number four, keep me from evil so I don't cause pain. Evil in our lives will always hurt you and the people around you. Lord, keep me from evil so I won't cause pain to myself, to you, or the people around me. This is an incredible prayer that would transform the life of any individual. This is the prayer where we lift our hands up to God and it's not a limp, deciding hand, but it's a hand stretching to touch God every day and ask him to help move, empower, bless. Let my life count. Let me bless the people around me. To the second and the third, fourth, and to a thousand generation. That's who I want to be, God. And I can only do that with your help. I want to ask you if you would to bow your head. Um, 
So, I mean, the choice is yours. I'm here to say, I would love it if we as a church were all praying this prayer and then we got to see what God would do and share the stories with each other. Would you be willing to take that challenge?